Is it possible to disagree and still be friends? The answer is yes, and we are here to prove it. Join our group of badass sirens as we step out of our comfort zone and onto our soapboxes to sound off on our latest adventure. We might not always agree, but we will always love each other. Welcome to Siren Soapbox. Welcome to Siren Soapbox, fellow explorers. Thank you for tuning in today. Our mission is to inspire you out of your comfort zone and into exploration. If you're enjoying our shows, please help us out by liking and subscribing. If you have an idea for a challenge to get the sirens out of our comfort zones, visit www.sirensoapbox.com and in the contact us section, submit your ideas. We'll give you a shout out on the show and you could possibly be a guest on the show. Click on Dive In and Explore with us on the website to participate alongside us in our next episode. You can also explore past episodes through the blog pages under Stay Curious and explore activities from previous episodes. We'd love to hear what you think. Drop us a line at sirensoapbox at gmail.com. And now on to today's episode. Everyone wants to be happy. To some, it seems like a never-ending mythical quest. But what if there was some more tangible way to go after what could lead to happiness? That is where the fun habit comes in. And the sirens dove into that topic this week. We all went to www.michaelrucker.com and took the fun quiz to see if we were an enthusiast, free spirit, pathfinder, or socializer. And then we evaluated a day in our week to see where our activities fall on the play model. Did we have more activities in the yielding and agonizing quadrant or the pleasing and living quadrant? Let's find out. But first, if at any time the conversation gets too intense, the safe word is mango. Mango. First up on our soapbox is Murph. Thanks, Elsie. Fun is something I strive to have all the time. I believe fun is a state of mind. And if you try, I think it's possible to have fun anywhere. In fact, I almost always have fun. I was pretty intrigued when fellow Siren and Explorer TC told us we should take a look at the fun type calculator on Mike Rucker's website. I was not at all surprised to learn that my fun type is socializer. I, according to Rucker, um, that means that I have the most fun when I'm hanging out with friends, building social bonds and participating in teamwork activities. So not surprising to me, not even a little bit. In every leadership course I've ever taken, (laughs) there have been many, I always lean towards teamwork as being amongst the most important lessons I've learned from from those courses. And professionally, I thrive when I work with a team. Personally, I feel most fulfilled when I'm around people that I love. My love language is quality time. So knowing our fun type isn't enough because we're sirens, so we decided to put the play model into action as well, like Elsie said. I documented the activities I did two, t- two days ago, which was Saturday, and I plotted them on Mike Rucker's play model graph. In the pleasing category, I listed breakfast and Bloody Marys, dinner with family, and playing golden tea at the bar. In the living category... Uh, we played nine holes of golf that day. So that was golf's always a little difficult. And the agonizing category, sitting at the bar waiting to go home. I could have just ordered the dang Uber, but I didn't. 
I sat there and waited for everyone else to be done instead. And in the yielding category, I had gambling at the casino and finally going to bed. So I believe this is pretty indicative of my normal day out. I participate in mostly pleasing activities, but I'm going to start focusing on uh, planning some more living activities like zip lining, which is hard because I'm terrified of heights, but I have to face that fear. So what better way to do so? Now, Sara, it's on to you. All right, well, thanks, Mer. So um, I think I tried once again to make this a lot more complicated than I needed to, at least with writing my soapbox. The fun type calculator quiz wasn't exactly easy though. I had trouble picking between the two choices sometimes. And on a couple of, qu of the questions, I felt I was choosing between two things I wouldn't ever ordinarily pick. After taking the quiz, I found out my fun type is the enthusiast. At least I am as long as I'm more in the mood to read than go out, which was one of the questions that I could have answered either way. That decision is sometimes different depending on my mood, how much I'm enjoying my book and on how busy my day was. When I read the description of The Enthusiast, however, it did make sense in a way. I do find that I can get a little down when I've been lazy, and so fun is at its best when I'm participating in something larger than life. For example, the siren soapbox. The Rucker Play model is, very is a very interesting way to look at how we spend our time. The four activity scenarios are pretty easy to understand when looking at the diagram, and the descriptions made a lot of sense. It was fun thinking about my daily life and deciding where each part of my day falls in the model. I mean, work clearly falls heavily into the agonizing quadrant, not necessarily because it's challenging. I chose my career in anesthesia because of the challenge it presents actually, but because it no longer brings me joy. It used to, but for a variety of reasons, it doesn't anymore. I realized I spend more time in the yielding quadrant than I like to admit. Silly games on my phone, silly shows that I'm sometimes embarrassed to admit to watching and some of the fiction that I read. I'm not saying I'll stop doing these things right away because, well, one of my shows is in mid-season and I have to see what shenanigans the house guests get up to after all. The Living Quadrant was, of course, the most fun to think about. I mean, getting out of our comfort zone is our thing, right? This past weekend, Bill and I went for a motorcycle ride and I remembered again how exciting that is. We also camped out in the backyard to test out the hammocks we plan to take on our next motorcycle adventure. So, hey, here's some more time spent living. And with that, on to Jess. Thanks, Sarah. So my fun habit is the free spirit. In reading my profile, it didn't really seem to match up with me in the taking risks aspect. I do love exploring, especially when it's in nature, but not so much in the limit testing that it talked about. Of course, that's what's been so good about the Siren Soapbox for me. It gets me to push my boundaries of my comfort zone. I have enjoyed everything we've done, even when I didn't necessarily want to do it beforehand. So it's not necessarily something I would choose to do on my own. I didn't really understand how to use the play model. So I'm hoping in listening to the other soapboxes, it will help me understand what it's supposed to be used for. It made me think of work to play and the idea of how I work so that I can travel and play and go fun places like St. Croix. But some activities that I don't enjoy like getting up early and commuting to work seem to fit into the yielding category because I don't like them, but I have to do them for my job, which allows me to play. So long story short, I'm hoping that there will be some clarification by listening to everybody. And I'm also curious if I have the same fun styles as anyone, especially all the type sevens. With that, it is on to Elsie. Well, then I will let you know that we share the same personality or fun type. I am a 
free spirit type too. So I don't think that surprises any one of the sirens. Remember the, uh, Hey guys, let's start a podcast. (laughs) So, uh, but it's our rule when we go out of town that you can't eat somewhere that you can get when you're home. We have to explore and, and experience new things all the time. And for our play model, I had a jam-packed weekend and my husband and I both worked a booth for our drone imaging company at a home and outdoor expo. So it was a perfect opportunity to use the play model. I will say I've worked at expos for other companies before and there's something refreshing about doing it as my own boss. Even though the majority of the day was work, I was still able to fill out something in each quadrant of the play model and really see where each activity fits on the fun scale. It was a slow event, so some of the time was spent to yielding activities to pass the time. Think Facebook and games on my phone. Some of it was agonizing, like having to pay an extra hundred bucks on electricity to show off our video portfolio on a TV, or talking to angry guests that have had bad experiences with drones before. And some of the activities were pleasing, like there were a ton of booths that had freebies to take home, spin the wheel games, and our own booth had a drone simulator and propeller toys to give out. So it was fun to see other people having fun with it. The majority of the event was in the living category. This was something I'd never done before for my own company, and it was outside my comfort zone for sure. We networked and made lasting connections. I got to proudly show off our work and even in the agonizing moments, it felt really good to help dispel some myths and educate people about something that I love. What I really like about the play model is that if you take time to look at your day and you have a lot of agonizing or yielding activities, you can analyze what you can drop off and make more time for pleasing or living activities and eventually make your life a little bit happier. And with that, on to TC. Thank you. The fun habit. My life is a habit of fun. It's what I do. I live and breathe by fun. If it's something I can't find some way to have fun doing, I simply don't do it. And by the way, on your website, you say pro tip taxes are not one of those activities. Wrong. You can pay someone to do your taxes. So I'll do a job that I think is fun, get paid money and pay someone else to do the things I don't think are fun. And that's what I do. Uh, To me, fun is a priority. It fills my bucket and that's all I have to give the world is what's in my bucket. So that's how I justify making fun such a priority for me. I've been called the queen of hedonism and I've been told that my dedication to fun is shallow, that there are more important things in life. And I completely disagree with that. I think fun is one of the most important things you can do in life because that's what bubbles over is fun and that's what I have to give everyone else. I am the person that everyone refers to as the eternal 12-year-old. In my purse, I always have a deck of cards, a Frisbee, a set of dominoes, and a set of dice. Right now, the set of dice is Dead Man's Dice, and it's the game of choice at the moment. I always have games with me, and I am the first one to say, hey, who wants to play a game? Which might give you a clue. My fun type is the socializer. I was a little surprised. I thought my fun type might be the free spirit. Um, When I go on vacation, we set goals and the goals are things like on the last vacation, I had to take a picture of an animal I'd never taken a picture of in my life every single day. We were in Costa Rica, so that was somewhat doable. Um, But socializer also makes sense because I do like to gather around people and gather people around me and pull out a game and have a ton of fun. 
and I carry all of the things with me that I need in order to do that. If you look at all of the different ways that you can categorize your activities, I have very few agonizing things because once I experience something that's agonizing, I find a way to quit doing it. It's that is my goal. And so um, I pretty much live by this and I can't wait to read the book and I'm excited to find out when it'll come out because I don't think it's out yet. But that brings me to the next thing that I want to talk about is our guest tonight. Our guest tonight is the man behind the fun habit, Michael Rucker. According to his website, michaelrucker.com, he's an author, father, husband, organizational psychologist, and behavioral scientist, recovering entrepreneur, fitness enthusiast with mechanical parts, VW bus aficionado, that's fun, seeker, traveler, future astronaut? I might have a question about that one. He goes on to say that tools he built as a student of positive psychology suddenly failed him during one of his life's most difficult stretches. So he found himself unhappy, a bit lonely, and burnt out, and began to critically evaluate modern approaches to happiness. He quickly realized how much in misinformation was out there, and then after years of research, he created the fun habit. The Fun Habit is an action-based approach that helps you critically examine your pursuit of happiness and make adjustments using evidence-based practices to invite more fun and joy in your life. And what could be more important than that? So, Sirens, please welcome our guest tonight, Mike Rucker. Welcome Woo! to the show. Welcome. So much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I think for my very first question for you is, I think I have a pretty good understanding of how to use the play model, but do you want to give us a, your take on it so that well, you guys really nailed it. In fact, I mean, I'm afraid I'm going to get a little bit emotional because I, I didn't uh, nail it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, whenever you're doing this kind of work, right. As you know, either a psychologist or a coach, um, these four quadrant models are fairly easy, right? You look at, uh, you know, two different aspects of a component of behavior, um, and then allows you to look at them on a spectrum. And so <clears throat> just to geek out a little bit, the two things that we know about emotion or affect are arousal, which is sort of the energy that you give something and then valence, which is a geek word for hedonic tone or sort of the pleasure that you seek from something, right? And so um, the model is basically based on those two um, aspects is, uh, you know, whether or not that activity is um, bringing you joy or not, and, uh, you know, how hard it is, uh, um, or how much effort that you're actually putting into it. And so um, the way that you guys kind of did the time audit, um, you know, although it was just a couple of days to sort of be mindful of how you are spending your time um, and then critically looking at, uh, you know, is that what you want to be doing? Uh, Mer, that was a great example. I actually just went to Reno last uh, weekend because um, each year I get together with some high school friends to uh, we do our fantasy football draft. And I love that time together because these are, you know, folks that I've been friends with for four decades now. So those relationships are rich and um, we feel safe in that space, right? So we tell jokes that <laughs> don't belong anywhere else besides <laughs> those groups of friends, but a few of them still like love to gamble. And um, 
And the nice thing I think about aging into those types of friendships is I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I was, uh, I, I used to really love crafts and like love that high energy, but you know, now I have two kids. So the idea of like losing $500, like, you know, <laughs> not appealing. Yeah. So, um, I play, uh, high gal poker, which is such a slow burn. Right. So like after two and a half hours of that game where you pushed like 200 times, right. And, you know, so similar thing, I'm like, why am I here? And so I just went and did something else that was a lot more fun. So I thought that was a great example where you're like, realize like, okay, you know, maybe it's a habitual routine that was fun, you know? And so you try it out to see if it still is and like, oh, no, it's still not. And, you know, you switch it out. And so that's a very micro example, but the macro examples that you guys had mentioned as well, TC, I really like yours. I think, you know, I'm careful about, um, talking about it too much in the book because there is, you know, it's, it's not like it drips with privilege, but you know, the idea that you do have the resources to be able to outsource stuff. Um, but that's certainly another great way. That's, that's exactly right. So, um, the way I solve for that in the book is, you know, sometimes you don't even necessarily need to, uh, you know, use money, uh, to be able to do that. You can trade resources. So I talk about in the book, like if you don't necessarily have, um, you know, the funds to get, if you're a parent and you want to go out on a date night, you know, perhaps you could trade uh, child sitting with neighbors. So not only do the kids get together and so there's pro-social behavior between the kids, but then you also, you know, save that hundred dollars for child sitting that night. Um, and, uh, you know, you can put that towards even more fun. So, sorry, that was a long-winded answer. Maybe a little bit more than you want. <laughs> oh, I think that was extremely helpful. Just does, does the play model make more sense to you now after listening to? Yeah. And listening to the soapboxes, it helps too. I think I just wasn't really, I think I was worried about doing it wrong. <laughs> I think I was. That sounds like not, an inner critic. <laughs> yeah. I was the sense of not doing a very simple, this activity falls into this category. I think I was trying to think of it more like a scale. I'm a scientist. So I was like, it was really frustrating me to not understand how this graph worked and I was just like am I supposed to put it like a dot like so I made it too simple is it, <laughs> falling into this category I yeah. we can have a sidebar about valence it's super fun to talk about <laughs> I realized like I used to over explain all this stuff and then you know like you know five minutes into deep psychology people are like okay so everyone's probably tuned out by now <laughs> <laughs> no see I need that <laughs> Well, I almost didn't have anything in the agonizing category. And then I remembered, so we had a jam-packed day. Mark and I, my, my boyfriend and I went to visit his sisters in Toledo and we just packed the whole day full of activities. And the last activity was hanging out at this bar um, after the casino and after a full day of just like golfing and drinking and socializing. And I was done. I wasn't even drinking at this bar anymore. The golden tea machine broke. So there wasn't even that any longer. I was so done with just being out. I just wanted to be home and I sat there for like two hours. So I had to put that in the agonizing category. (laughs) I mean, and that's, that's legitimate. I think, especially again, you know, going back to that anecdote as um, you sort of age out of things that were fun. And so, you know, and a continuation of that is a lot of things that get habitual, right? So another thing I talk about in the book is, um, and I don't think with this crew that you necessarily would fall victim to this, but 
a lot of folks, their routine becomes so habitual, like the idea of going out on a Wednesday, you know, just doesn't like, wait, we could go take dance classes on a Wednesday. No, dancing's for the weekend, right. you know? And so to have the ability to, you know, use these same type of tools to sort of challenge things that have become habitual and like, wait, why am I doing this? You know, another thing often is television viewing. So like, you know, sometimes I'll get villainized for criticizing, you know, media viewing, which I don't like if you love a show and you're sitting there with your partner and enjoying it or, you know, watching it by yourself. And that really is fun. then that's great. But a lot of times, you know, people are just like, that's my show at eight o'clock. I watch it. And then you ask them, well, do you enjoy it? And they can't even tell you what the show is about for the last four weeks. Right. Like if you're not storing those memories, like I saw on your guys' website, um, you know, part of the reason that you're challenging yourselves and you like curiosity is it seems that you guys have a pretty, um, you know, <clears throat> grounded understanding that that dilates time, you know? And so if you get into these habitual routines, the, the habituation isn't necessarily the bad thing. It's, it's when it's really not lighting you up, when it really is a yielding activity and your, your brain's not storing it as just something that, you know, lit you up and you just, you know, look back at the last two months and you're like, wow, I don't, you know, whatever it was, whether it was TV or something else, you know, that you, you just, it's forgettable. Right. And that, that's such a shame because we all only have a certain amount, you know, tomorrow's not promised. Right. So. Yeah. Some of us have learned that in relatively difficult ways. Um, my dad died suddenly at a pretty young age. My mom also died at a pretty young age. And so I think, yeah, I think, it just made me realize that if I die in two hours, well, I have had fun in the two hours before I died. And so I really, I really work at it all the time. And I, I try very hard not to have, there are certain habits I do have, but I remind myself to savor them. Coffee in the morning, it is a ritual for me and I do it every morning, but I savor it and I write about how the coffee tastes and feels every morning. So I, I really try not to take things for granted or get into the habits that, that steal away time. I, even if you, if we go out on a Friday, the whole weekend seems longer if we did something that was unique that, that Friday. It's amazing to me how a weekend packed with things that are different feels completely different than a weekend where you did things that you do a lot. Yeah. And energizing. Yep. Sorry, I was going to pine a little bit, but I do think it's an unfortunate gift that loss gives us. And so I try to give that gift in the book to people that haven't, you know, experienced loss. One of the stories that um, you guys might be familiar with that I talk about in the book um, is Rick Ellis's TED Talk. He survived the miracle on the Hudson. Um, he's a local entrepreneur out in Charlotte, but um, so his sort of anecdote was that he, you know, after he survived the uh, crash, he went back to his house and saw this humongous, um, uh, you know, wine collection that he had and like how many times he would have friends over and not crack a bottle, you know, because it was a true collection. And, you know, now since that incident, um, there's never an opportunity where he's not opening one of those, right? Because like, why do you want to be a collector of wines, you know? Um, but so I, you know, whether, whatever the memento mori is, right, whatever that is. And I think you can create those 
so, you know, memento mori are these things that remind us that death is imminent, you know? Um, and so uh, like here, this is a goofy one, but, uh, and I guess the, the people listening won't see it, but it's a picture of me, you know, aged. So, you know, if ever I need a kind of kick in the pants, I'm like, all right, you know, this is going to be you pretty soon, you know, and the older we get, unfortunately, the faster time seems to go. So if I'm ever like at the crossroads, like, should I pull the trigger on this? I just look at that. I'm like, absolutely. You know, why wait until tomorrow? So that's uh, something that I've been thinking about for a while now. I think everybody here that's been listening um, for any amount of time knows that I'm looking to my future and thinking about retirement and, and thinking about what is considered an early retirement for most people. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've wondered, obviously, the, the biggest reason that I want to retire sooner rather than later is to enjoy having fun with, with my husband and, and, and do a lot of fun things. But I, I kept asking myself, well, why, why stop working? And um, I really feel like taking the quiz and, and doing the play model has helped answer that question for me. And it is truly that my job is not bringing me joy anymore. It's still a challenge and I do, um, I do like a challenge, but that particular challenge is no longer bringing me joy. And I want to find things that bring me joy. And uh, it's just really helped sort of solidify my, my thoughts that, you know, working isn't where I want to be uh, rather than, and I, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to seem like I just want to have fun all the time, but my job is no longer bringing me joy. If my job still brought me joy, I'd be happy to continue doing it, but it's not. And so I think there are a lot more fun things that I can do. So I found this really, really helpful to sort of put that together in my head because I've been feeling it and I didn't quite understand it, but this helped me understand it a little bit. I wonder why we we villainize or we have this negative connotation about the idea of having fun all the time. Like, why is that bad? Why is it bad to just want to have fun all the time? And just to clarify that, you can have fun providing service to fellow humans. That can be fun and rewarding. Why is it so bad? Why do we, why do we feel like we have to be miserable to be good people? I don't understand that mindset. Yeah, so I think there's a few things going on. And there's, it unfortunately seems to be getting a little bit worse, um, you know, as the world gets a little bit more complicated, but ultimately, you know, to answer the question in, in the time allotted, it really can be uh, traced back to the Puritans, right? You know, sort of this Puritan work ethic where um, very much, you know, this idea of duty and not having fun was part of, you know, um, spiritual maturity and, you know, right or wrong, unfortunately, these things, you know, through social contagion just kind of stick, right? And so, um, uh, you know, that's one role. And then the second is, you know, uh, just kind of some false beliefs that get passed down that, you know, once you become mature, having fun is somehow whimsical, yet, you know, you peel back the onion. And again, that's why I'm, you know, pretty happy about how the book turned out more and more, um, research has come out that when people do feel, you know, a sense of pleasure from what they're doing, um, you know, it's renewing instead of taxing. Um, they, uh, you also reprioritize the idea that you need renewal. So there's sort of this clean break from work to um, other aspects of filling your bucket, you know, to use the terminology you all used earlier. 
Um, so it has all sorts of benefits, but unfortunately where we're at today is because, um, you know, this idea of having a strong work ethic, um, and not really enjoying yourself, you know, putting blood, sweat, and tears into the work, um, you know, was a cultural norm that we still haven't shaken. I used to date a guy who told me that he, it made him feel proud that he hated his job and still went to work every day. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. (laughs) I think it's ridiculous to feel that way and to think like that. So that's another challenge too, right? Is like one of the things that I think I had to come to grips with is that not necessarily does everyone want to have fun. So we've talked a little bit about my work and Um, so everything that I speak about really is on that positive side of valence, but there's certainly folks that don't necessarily want to live in those quadrants. Right. And that's okay. Like, I don't want to villainize those people. You know, there are certainly folks that, um, you know, for whatever reason, don't necessarily want to feel good like your friend. And, um, that's okay. I think what I'm trying to do is that the people that do find fun engaging, like how can we create safe spaces? And also I, I, I hate to use the word optimize cause it's not like, I mean, life is painful, right? Like obviously we've already talked about it. Loss is an inherent part uh, of how we live. So there are going to be things, um, you know, you, you read off my bio. I mean, I used to really love triathlons and unfortunately I lost my hip, right? That's why I call myself an athlete with mechanical parts. So I had to mourn that side of my identity that was sort of gone, but I could have done one of two things, right? I could have either like sort of packed my bags and been like, okay, well, you know, being active um, is just not a part of, of me anymore. Or I could be curious and find out what are the things that I can do, you know, given my limitations. And um in my, you know, worldview, the latter is a much better way to go about things. So, um, but I think, you know, ultimately where I was going with that is that there are going to be some people that, um, you know, don't want to have fun and that's where we need to be a little bit more accommodating. Right. So I think, you know, someone's like, oh, wow, you had fun doing that. Like, I guess we won't call that work. All right, fine. You know, so that's where we can change. Right. Like, um, I think, you know, sometimes when you hear that, because that does seem to be a Western norm, like someone's villainizing you because, you know, the, the team was actually laughing, even though, you know, the end product was probably better than the other team that wasn't having fun. Like, oh, you guys sure had a good time. Guess what? Yeah, we did. Peace out. <laughs> and I, we also <laughs> think the end product's better. <laughs> you know? And in fact, science tells us that it probably is. So you, know, you guys go ahead and wallow in the mire and we're going to now, you know, have even more fun because we're proud of what we did. No. It just reminded me on Facebook, there's a little picture going around of two kids. One's standing on first place and he's sad. And the kid's standing on the second place. They just had a race or something. And the second place kid is like, yeah, and it's fun as a state of mind. And you know what's so crazy? So that was another um, piece of research in the book is that, uh, the, like, you know, let's geek out a little bit just so like, you know, we leave a couple of tidbits for people listening, but that's one of, there's a study about folks that come in first, second, and third that I find fascinating, right? So the person that comes in first is obviously happy, right? Because like, you know, we all want to come in first, right? So you, you get the first place medal. And, um, you know, when they do the geek stuff and, uh, you know, again, they're happy. 
the second person, the second place person generally isn't that happy because they're just like, man, if I just worked a little bit harder, you know, then I would have been in first place. So they have to sit, you know, for however long they want to sit with that and be like, you know, I just didn't get first place. For whatever reason, the third place person compares themselves to everyone that didn't place. And they're actually almost as happy as the first place one. So it's sort of like some of those interesting things about what makes us happy to your point. I mean, we're just really bad at social comparison, right? But like, you know, when you know these little tricks and the fact that that is the case, like if you do find yourself in second place, like, wow, I'm actually better than third place and all the other people that, you know, are making the third place. <laughs> so like, you know, uncovering some of those heuristics that really get in our way, you know, I hope to do that with the book as well, but it, it's just really interesting because when you're not aware of them, right? Like what a shame that there's this second place curse, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I know, you guys go ahead, Jess. Archer. Um, I don't even know if it's still in the air anymore, but it, basically he has this conversation with somebody who got a bronze and skiing in the Olympics. And he's mm -hmm. like, so you got third. He's like, or so you lost. He's like, no, I got third. He's like, so you got third out of three. So you lost. He's like, no, I got third in the world. <laughs> so it's just I know the episode. I, Archer is my son's name. And uh, just, just to leave you with some good news, it's coming back for a new season. I think they went on hiatus. <laughs> we're impressed with the last couple of seasons. So I hope it gets better. <laughs> yeah, it did get kind of strange, right? I think they were, they were toying with different different ideas but I love that show speaking yeah. of ill defined humor that we don't admit to <laughs> Guilty so I know that we've been talking about this a lot already but why can why is having fun so important and if you can follow it up with why is having fun so much more important than I said I wrote being happy in the question but I think I think for you, it's having fun is more important than trying to seek happiness. So you can clarify that for me. Yeah. So this work comes, um, someone that's, you know, that I borrow, you know, we talk about standing on the shoulders of giants, right? So the work comes from a lot of researchers, but the one that I've gotten spoon fed from, uh, her, her name is Iris Moss, um, out of Cal Berkeley. Um, and so she's looked at folks that um, are, have this overt concern about being happy, right? And what happens is that we often don't take action because we all have a limited amount of energy in our day, right? So if we're using a lot of that energy to sort of perseverate on um, where we wanna be instead of taking action of where we wanna go, um, then uh, we end up being less happy. And that leads to all sorts of things that we've already sort of discussed a lot, right? Like. So, you know, ideas of FOMO, ideas of, you know, comparing ourselves to the Joneses, like, why am I not as happy as, um, you know, my cousin who's done this thing? And so, you know, it's sort of less think and more do. I mean, that's the easiest way to put it. And so taking an action-oriented approach, um, the way I describe it is you sort of are able to celebrate your gains because each new thing that you do, um, each new thing that you kind of conquer, that's by your own design, you know, so it's things that are sort of in line with your resonance instead of, you know, allowing stuff into your world that might not necessarily be there, but you, you know, you feel like it's lacking. Um, you know, we're able to celebrate those gains rather than perseverate on the gap of like, oh man, I'm at, you know, point A and I really wish I was at point B. Like, 
that doesn't really matter. You know, that gap is imaginary, right? So you get to invent it. And so if you have this, you know, overly concern about happiness, that's the place that you're going to live. If you take, you know, more of a fun approach, then you're just always constantly thinking about what's the next thing within my realm of possibility that I can do. And you're actually doing it. Right. And then that leads to a whole host of benefits. Um, one, once you start indexing a variety of different things that light you up, you're able to look back at that and time just seems longer, right? Instead of like, you know, wallowing and using your time in that way as kind of one experience, you have this, you know, corpus of, of great memories to look back at. Um, and we know, you know, it's kind of common now. We know that, um, you know, when people look back at a life well-lived, um, they tend to sort of accept death and, and die happy. And um, when they don't have that, when their life is sort of, you know, left with regret and their final years is thinking about all the things that they should have done, um, it's not the best way to go. So it's sort of, you know, cradle to grave, um, pretty much, <laughs> I believe what you should do. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad to hear that description we we were spending a lot of time on your website and reading the some of the things that that you had written there and um not not everything you say about happiness is is something i agree with that's a really weird way to say what i just said no no it's good though <laughs> but i think uh, i think the key for me is seeking so I, Sometimes I think if you are constantly seeking, it doesn't matter what it is, the next car, happiness, the right boyfriend, the right job, the right place to live. If you're always seeking, then that lends itself to a feeling of not being satisfied with where you are because you're seeking the next thing. And if happiness ends up being one of the things on your list of things you're seeking, that makes sense to me. Whereas um, for me, happiness is something that I read about think about, write about, that I, I've dedicated a lot of time to, but it's not so much as seeking as it is making sure it's central. I don't know. It's, it's somehow slightly different to me. No, but I think that's right. And so there are a few things like um, even the play model, you know, which uh, attracts folks like yourself, which, you know, light makes my life a lot more fun. Um, like I want to take out the word optimizing. And I think, Going back to, um, you know, when I, Dr. Mouse actually gave me some of her time, I think, you know, I'm borrowing it from her, so to give her credit, but this idea that, um, you know, we really get to define what happiness means anyways, right? So in psychology, we call it subjective well-being that has, you know, these ways of measuring it. And, you know, it's, um, so that's basically science's definition, but ultimately happiness you know, can be a, a battery of different things. In fact, you know, I admit on the website that the, you know, the, the fun type calculator is really just for entertainment, but it, the most rooted thing in science is the idea that there's all sorts of different ways to have fun, right? Um, and in that same regard, there's all sorts of different ways to be happy, right? You know, like, uh, and so to try and say um, that you're, you know, by saying that you are unhappy, um, that's making a statement, right? That's choosing an identity. But saying that you're seeking happiness, you know, for all five of you could mean different things. And so to opine on one person shouldn't do something and the other person should, um, 
you know, there's some complexity that's inherent in that, right? But I think when we're painting broad strokes to say, are you overtly, or sorry, overly concerned about that pursuit? I think that's more universal, right? And that TC, that goes to what you're talking about. That's that you're constantly worrying about, do you have the right partner or do you have the right stuff? Or immediately not being mindful, like, you know, buying a new car and then just kind of, oh, but the next model's out, right? Instead of really enjoying it. Um, you know, that's why I have a 65 bus because that thing is never, uh, you know, it's never gonna run out of enjoyment for me, you know, cause it's not going any faster. <laughs> I drive an old island Jeep and I don't have to worry about any part of it. Like the door handle broke the other day and I'm like, oh darn, the door handle broke. Now I have to go in the other door. <laughs> so I will eventually get it fixed, but there's no stress. If I had a really expensive car, I made that mistake once. I got rid of a, an old beater bicycle and I bought a really nice, shiny, bright, orange, expensive bike. And then I worried about it. And then I had to spend... 75 bucks on a bike lock to protect my really expensive orange. It was a slippery slope. So stick with the beater bikes and the old buses and the island jeeps. It just makes life simple. <laughs> I don't know, but it's interesting. You said, um, I didn't write down your exact quote. Oh, sidebar. How many sirens wrote down less think and more do? How many people wrote that down? Mm -hmm. didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I figured we would all write that one down. You yeah. said you, you wanted to do away with optimizing. And I think that's, um, that's interesting because just the idea of optimizing something makes me think, I mean, there is something to be said for pushing the limits and pushing yourself to, to do more and be more. And all of that can be really good. But optimizing, again, I think tends to lead to seeking or not, not enjoying what is. Yeah. Being grateful for what right. is. Um, my motivation there. And that is because, you know, my previous life, I was an entrepreneur. So um, especially at the onset, um, you know, a lot of the podcasts that I would do would be entrepreneur, entrepreneurially minded folks, right? And they'd be like, oh, I so resonate with this. Like, you know, I want to squeeze fun out until three in the morning. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not <laughs> like, where, you know, you can't even read between the lines and find that, you know, so people... Right. We're inventing things that because I'm a firm believer in renewal and sleep and like, you know, um, you know, I, I get more into it in the book, but you can't have fun if you, you know, grind yourself out. I think, uh, Sara, you're a perfect example of that, right? Like, again, you, you know, I hope you find your path because that's, you know, when you're in that state, it's, it's harder to build upon, um, you know, because uh, you don't have the scaffolding, right? And so, um, that's why that, that word for me, I feel like I just need to reframe it because I'm afraid that I'm, you know, meeting people that are like, oh, yeah, you know, because I certainly think you should squeeze as much out as you can, but not, you know, like to, to sort of go overboard is my fear. And so, you know, obviously I want to, I don't want to do any harm. And I feel like I, I, I figured out that I was doing some harm because people were reading that the wrong way, you know. And then also it's, you know, there are times that are going to be tough. There are, you know, things that are agonizing and there are things that need to be agonizing for some. And so it was another, you know, there were other times where I felt folks were misinterpreting it. Like, oh, I just need to engineer all agonizing and yielding stuff out of my life. Well, that's, you know, um, there's some things like people that are, are, you know, part of the sandwich generation that are caring for 
um, their parents. You know, that's just not going to be something that they're going to find, you know, in the pleasing or living quadrant, but it's very meaningful work, you know? Um, and so, and uh, yeah, so anyways, I've gone on about that, but <laughs> that's why, that, that's why I, I would, I might put a mango on optimizing. <laughs> <laughs> And there's the first time it's been said in our show. <laughs> That's awesome. It only took 40 episodes. That's oh, really? Oh, no. <laughs> and there is something to be said about relaxing and refreshing right before my son went back to school. He was online all last year with COVID. Now he's back to school because it's his eighth grade year. It's his last one. I'm like, you have to squeeze every drop of fun out of your summer before you go back. And he's like, no, like relaxing is okay and fun sometimes too, mom. <laughs> well, and that's another thing that, you know, I've really gotten into, maybe it's the next book, but this idea, um, you know, in Western culture, how we really celebrate extroversion. And like, so I really had to dig deep and luckily there's a collaborator that is, you know, a strong introvert, but there's all sorts of things that are fun that are very low arousal that, um, like even online on Twitter, I'll, you know, celebrate that and they'll be like, oh, is this written by an introvert? Like, you know, like drawing a line, you know? Um, and so I do think, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing to play with that, you know, similar to the Puritan thing that we talked about earlier, like this idea um, that there are so many different ways to have fun. And oftentimes that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, going to a rock concert. Like that's one that I often use because I love really loud music and I love you know even at 50 love being you know in in the front row but my wife's idea of fun is you know getting into a good book at the side of a pool and th those are both fun activities you know although you know they're not going to put that you, you know if you have you know an advertisement for fun it's always like two people jumping on the beach right like yelling or something and so anyways um you know I think it's you know that's an important thing is that it's not all about just pushing the limits, you know, although a lot of us do find that fun. Oftentimes you can have just as much fun, you know, doing something that's a lot less, um, a lot lower arousal. What's your fun type? My oh, fun I know it. I know it. It's on his website. <laughs> oh, how did I miss that? <laughs> and it changes. That's another thing. So part of this was limited by the technology. I think if I were to redesign it, it would certainly be a spectrum because I think anyone that has fun is all four of these things, right? It's really just what your preference is. So, um, you know, again, very non-scientific, but, you know, based on science, this idea that, you know, we have uh, all sorts of different things that bring us into positive valence. And so it was really about, you know, thematic analysis, like what are the themes of each one of these categories and uh you know so pathfinder and um uh excuse me uh you know enthusiasts are really more about folks that are goal seeking you know that want to do something um where the others are you know more about connection and curiosity i think i love um, that you guys pull them apart i think you know to some degree it's a bit like astrology like <laughs> right like it's so all-encompassing if you, you you five are clearly fun people i think you would find yourselves in all four categories if you well, I, I had such a hard time answering the questions that i don't know if i should admit to this but i do have a couple of different email addresses so i think <laughs> a couple of different times and i you know
know, I, I, I did it. I said, okay, well, so sometimes I just want to read the book and sometimes I want to go out. So I took it twice and, and sure enough, I came up and, you know, with two different, I was the enthusiast and the free spirit. And, and, but it was really interesting to read about the different things that, that those, um, those fun types have and, and seeing a little bit of myself in both of them. So yeah, I'm confessing my sins. And I feel like no one's jumped on the fact that Bill and I spent the night in hammocks in our backyard the other night. But that's there you go. Oh, that's fun. That was, my, that was our living experience for the weekend. I took it twice too, Sarah. <laughs> With two different emails. I, I took I it twice and got, got the same thing. <laughs> I got socializer and free spirit. Yeah, I thought I would get free spirit. Um, Mike, I think on your website it says you're you're the socializer. Right. That- yeah. Yeah. None of us are a pathfinder, although I think Mike said he had pathfinder tendencies, right? Yeah. So my friend Pam took it. Um, she looked at our at sirensoapbox.com and saw what we were going to be talking about. So she took the the um, the fun habit quiz, and she is a pathfinder. Oh, cool. That's fun. She is the one we were talking about when we said with passion, there are a lot of bored women living mediocre lives. Remember that conversation? So that's Mm -hmm. Pam. And I told her about that. And she was very touched that we had a whole conversation with how could we pull her in? (laughs) Very happy she decided to participate with us. So (laughs) out of curiosity, is she A-type? Is she A-type? Yeah. Um, I think probably. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, it's always tough to like on the fly, I ask you to label one of somebody, but <laughs> in essence, that's what we're doing with this exercise. Right. So, and like, I meant they're bowling questions, right? Those things are always tough. And like, that's why I avoid this. I mean, it is fun to talk about this kind of stuff, but like, ultimately part of why I love fun and the science of fun is it is you really get to define it. Right. And so um, I certainly didn't incorporate this in the book because the message in the book is like, you know, go find what lights you up and do it. Right. Like I'm not trying to tell you who you are. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's fun to have these types of conversations, but ultimately again, you're going to be a blend of all of these things. Right. And so that's why I, I had put, you know, some of the matrices that are, are, were used to, to build the model because I meant there's over 500 different words, right, in the in the thematic analysis. So, so Mike, when is the book going to be out? Uh, so right now it's looking summer 2022. Simon Schuster obviously ultimately gets to pick it, but they have told me that um, the it's sometime during the summer for for sure. So June or July of next year. So if you need, if you need test readers or anyone to just. Find all the grammatical errors that the editors don't find. I'm really good at all of that. (laughs) And hopefully we'll get to have you back on next year after we read your book. Oh, I would love that. And in fact, it's so funny because I thought I I have a great story in the the book about diving because as a young uh, child, my dad was a big diver. And so we would go down the American river and uh, he would dive and clean up the river and I would stay on the, on the raft and pick all the stuff up. And um, it's a really fond memory. So I thought, you know, we can talk about that next time once you guys read it. <laughs> and are you a diver? I am. I haven't for a while um, 
I think my last dive trip was the BVI right before the kids. So it's been, it's been eight years, which is sad to think about, but yeah, I used to dive quite a bit. St. Croix has some of the best diving in the world. I know we were voted the number one best diving spot in the world by uh, Caribbean Life. I don't know, some magazine last year. It is a really nice dive spot. So come on down Beautiful. and I'll take you diving. <laughs> My wife's Filipino, so I think I've, I've told her, and, and so she's got some connections there as well. I, I think it, once we finally bring the kids to the Philippines, that will probably be my next big trip. I want to do tours. They have some amazing uh, wreck dives there, I've heard. so. But I do, you didn't, you didn't take me to task. You said you didn't. Um, I'd be curious uh, what's not resonating with regards to happiness. You said that. If I can find it. Yeah, there were several things on there that that we were going to ask you about, but I think um, yeah, you guys I, I think kind. I was ready for it. <laughs> I think when you when when we specified more that it was the seeking of happiness. Hold mm -hmm. on, let me see if I can find it. That was my clarification with it today because I was writing out some questions about it, Mike. I was like, because we were reading it last week, we're like, what does he mean? Of course, you can be happy, but I think that that's it clicked with me today that it was the seeking of happiness. That yeah, is. I, I've really been sticking with the word concern because that's the word that Iris uses. And it, it's the one, um, you know, this idea that it's, you know, it's really about how you're expending your energy. Right. And so mm -hmm. for me, that's where I was, um, you know, with, with regards to the origin story that, you know, when my brother died, um, I had been a big zealot of positive psych. So I was doing all this stuff, right. Gratitude journaling and all of it, because it had become habitual and it was just sort of part of my routine, like brushing my teeth. And, um, I don't necessarily think it was additive at that point. It was sort of just, you know, it was really comfortable. And then none of that stuff was working. And I also realized like at that time, I didn't want to identify it as happy. Like the more I was trying to, you know, sort of dig out of the hole by like, okay, I'm just going to be happy. You know, like I, I don't want to be happy. This sucks right now. Cause it happened right around the time I found out about my osteoarthritis too. And so I was like, well, I don't have to identify as happy, but I, I can still go have fun. You know, a lot of my friends were trying to lift me up and I didn't want to just sit there and wallow. And, you know, because there were, there was plenty of time where I could sit and try and process all of this and then still sort of compartmentalize it and, you know, have fun with them. Um, so I, I don't mean to ramble, but I think, you, no. know, you know, once I realized like, look, I can just take charge of this and I don't necessarily need to be concerned anymore. I don't need to think about, you know, why or why not I'm, I'm feeling a certain way, but that in any given moment I have, you know, not to be like the self-help cliche, but I have this choice to make. Right. Um, and maybe even if I'm not happy in that moment, I can still feel pleasure. And, you know, after a while, then just, um, you know, I indexed enough fun things. I was like, okay, well, you know, life is still good. There's certain things about life that suck, but like I have the ability to steer my, you know, life into, you know, a lot of moments of joy. Um, and, uh, you know, and then just magically I was pulled out of it and I was like, wait, why don't we talk about this more, you know? <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden I realized there's this big research gap. And I think it's because, you know, the, ch the most challenging thing about writing this book was that, it means so many different things to different people, right? So exactly what you guys are feeling right now is, is it was the difficulty in writing it because how do you describe fun when fun means 
some, you know, something so individual to that person. Like, so what do you mean by fun? Well, I'm, I'm not going to describe fun. I'm just going to tell you how to have more of it. And so that was really challenging, right? In the book, right? Cause like, even to just get someone on board, like, ah, eh, I don't know if I buy that, but luckily like once I got it on paper, it started to make sense. So, <laughs> so two, two things for you. One, I found the statement that, okay. um, that we had a hard time with. Number two, um, you're talking about how fun means different things for different people. We just recently did another episode on exploring careers. And while I was writing the blog for that, which is almost finished, um, I, I had this realization, there's a difference between a job and a career. And so I was reading all of this different stuff about how people are defining a job versus a career. And at some point I just came to a realization that one person's job is another person's career and one person's career is another person's job. It just has to do with your mindset and your, how you perceive it. And so like for Sarah, perhaps in the beginning, your job now started out as a career and something that was fulfilling. And I did finally find somebody's description of what makes the two very different um, that I really liked, but it reminds me, um, I'm now I'm going on and on, but it reminds me of a Maxi Priest song where he says it takes all kinds of people. And in the song, he says things like um, one person's woman is another person's lover. It's all perception. It's how you, how you view things. Okay, moving away from that, here's the statement that we did not like. All it right. says- I might change I, it if I don't yeah. like it either. All <laughs> right. That's what's great about the internet, right? <laughs> That's right. It says, unlike happiness, fun isn't something that may or may not arise under the perfect circumstances or when all of my if onlys are fulfilled. And so when I read that, when we read that, I think that perhaps our, now it could be a, a difference between joy and happiness. Some people separate those two things that joy means one thing and happiness means something else. But I don't think that you have to have perfect circumstances to be happy. And I, I think most people who know me would describe me as a very happy person. And a lot of shit's happened in my life, but I have maintained an overall sense of happiness, even when things knock me across the room. So I'm glad I just shared the anecdote with my brother, because that, um, that was a well thought out sentence, because it comes from the proposal of the book, but that it, it's an ode to that period of 2016, when you know, I just didn't want to be happy, but I felt that, um, you know, with the exception of, you know, a few instances where I had to really, you know, deal with the, um, you know, with the funeral and stuff like that, there wasn't ever a time where I couldn't go and have some fun, even if it was laughing at the macabre or whatever. Um, so that, that's where that, that is rooted in, but, you know, so maybe it needs to be reworded, but I still stand by it. You know, that sense that, um, yeah, you know, where happiness really lies, um, you know, there are going to just be some periods where you don't necessarily need to be happy and that's okay. Yeah, it's so interesting. You... I'm, I'm wondering how you differentiate between having fun and happiness. If you are laughing, you're not happy at the moment that you're laughing? No, because I think the way I look at happiness is really through that lens of a psychologist. So again, you know, we can have it as an abstract construct and that's, so I'm, you know, playing with semantics here, but with regards to villainizing happiness in the book, it's really how we're looking at subjective well-being, you know, and attaching that to happiness within, you know, the, the confines of psychological tools that we give to people. 
where fun really is, you know, continues to be abstract and we really can do it. But um, I'm certainly not trying to define what happiness means for anybody. Um, but in that context, I am saying that happiness has been defined by science. So what's not in that sentence is happiness as we know it in psychology, you know, has this thing, right? It's not, um, it does have uh, an ever presence, you know, and we kind of track it over time. Um, but what you're saying is that you have the ability to, similar to fun, um, even in tough times, find happiness, which is great. I know that after my dad's funeral, a group of friends um, and my brother and I, we, we went out to a bar and because none of us were ready to go home. None of us. I wasn't. Bill wasn't. We weren't ready to go home. And I remember sitting there. One of my friends ordered um, uh, Rogue Dead Guy Ale or something like that. And I just turned and looked at him. It was Scuba Steve. Everyone yeah. except Mike knows him. Um, and I was like, it might be too soon for that beer. But then I remember just sitting back and looking at my friends and thinking, you know, this is kind of a sad moment, but I'm really happy that I have all of these people who are here with me right now because I was not ready to go home and be alone. And I did have a sense of joy and happiness, even in that moment of sadness. So that's why that sentence that you can't have happiness unless you have the perfect circumstances. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that I would agree with that. That's fair. That's fair. Con contrast to that. Oh, sorry. No, no, please. Contrast to that. I am kind of thankful that you just said that you can have fun and not be happy. Because I'm, you know, I struggle with depression and sometimes you're just not happy. And that's okay. Yeah. I was going to say what Mike was saying early, earlier really resonated with me. I went through years of difficulty with my family and my husband was deployed. And during that time, I would not describe myself as a happy person, but we went out and we had fun. Fun was achievable. That wasn't easy. Like I went ziplining, we went traveling, we did all these fun things. And I have good memories of that, but I wouldn't say that I was a happy person at that time. So even though you did get the best birthday cake of your freaking life, oh my God, that shark cake was amazing. <laughs> even if I thought you accidentally baked something into it. So Mike, just so you know, I baked a shark cake full of hard fish candies inside. And when Elsie cut into it, she felt the fish candies on the knife and was like, oh God, I think Murr left a fork in this cake. <laughs> <laughs> There's something in here. Oh, it's funny. Well, Mike, at the end of each episode, we like to leave our listeners with a challenge. And this week, we are going to challenge our listeners to go to michaelrecker.com and take the fun type quiz to see which fun type they are. And then we want you guys to share it by using the hashtag Siren Soapbox. Mike, thank you again so much for your time. And do you want to let everyone know where they can find you? Well, you guys name dropped me several times. So I'm so <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah, so... Uh, michaelrecker.com or if you play on Instagram I'm there uh, the wonder of fun all right well if the sirens aren't following you on Instagram yet we will be after uh -huh. this episode <laughs> thank you sirens for this fun episode tonight and thank you our fellow explorers for listening to this episode you can find links to Mike's website you can read our blog and you can learn all about the sirens at sirensoapbox.com and until next time dive in Stay curious 
and be happy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Siren Soapbox. And a special thank you to C-Strings for providing our music. Snag their latest EP from iTunes today. Follow the Sirens on all the social medias and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Siren Soapbox.